I'll bet you've heard of the name Mopar, but I'll also bet that unless you're a hardcore Chrysler fan, you really don't know much about it. Me neither. Turns out the Mopar brand has been used by Chrysler for well over 70 years. It's used to market the company's motor parts and accessories. In fact, that's where the name comes from. Motor parts, Mopar. But now Chrysler wants to breathe a lot more life into Mopar and make it as strong a brand as Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, or even Jeep. Sergio Marchionne, the CEO of Chrysler, brought in another Italian, Pietro Gorlier, to run it. And that's exactly who is the guest on today's show. Stick around. We'll be back in just a moment to learn how Chrysler plans to recreate the fifth brand in its lineup. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. So here we are in the studio with Pietro Gorlier, the president and CEO of the Mopar brand. Great to have you here on AutoLine. Great Pietro. to be here. Thank you. And of course, joining us uh, is Jeff Bennett from the Wall Street Journal and Eric Main from Wards. Great having the both of you here, too. Thanks Thank very you. much. Pietro, I'm fascinated by what's going on with the Mopar brand. I've been covering this auto industry for over 30 years. I've interviewed countless executives from Chrysler. I've gone to all kinds of media launches, new product launches. I don't think anyone's ever talked about the Mopar brand before. So here you are as the president and CEO. You're doing all these kinds of things. What I'm wondering is, what are the, the marching instructions that Sergio Marchionne gave you? What did he tell you to do with this brand? Well, that's a great question. I, I think that uh, there was uh, uh, the clear recognition that the Mopar brand is a brand with a lot of history, and 75 years of history. And in the last 10 years, uh, it was a bit neglected. No? I mean, was still producing a lot of stuff, a lot of uh, industry first, but was not, really not uh, uh, under the spot of the attention. So what we said, I mean, uh, Mopar is in charge of everything. is about uh, uh, taking care of the customer after the purchase of a car. And uh, one of the main missions that we have at Chrysler is to uh, improve and uh, revamp the, the customer experience. No? And uh, so naturally, Mopar is an important uh, asset uh, in, this, in this process. So the marching instruction is obviously to take care of the customer, selling parts and services, because I mean, parts are a large part of our business, and taking care of the customer, giving the best possible experience when they walk into one of our dealerships. Can you discuss uh, Mopar's profitability? How, how important is Mopar to the company's business? Oh, I couldn't wait. This question. <laughs> I'm not. A, well, I tell you, let, let, me, let me say something. I think November 2009, when we uh, presented our plan, um, our CEO was pretty clear in explaining that uh, um, the mission of Mopar was to improve. Uh, uh, customer experience uh, and uh, being a profitable part of the company. If I'm still here after two years, it means that we are probably profitable. <laughs> You're profitable now, though. You're there profitable now. But I was also wondering, too, in um, uh, Mr. Marchionne's discussions with you, in, br in just bringing Mopar out as a separate brand, the thinking there was just what? To put this in the spotlight? Had, I know it had faded, as, as you had said, but by putting it into the spotlight, what did that do that was different, do you think? Well, I think, uh, I think one of the main principles uh, of our CO is that when you have a brand, you need uh, really to focus on the DNA, DNA of the brand. This is absolutely true with our other brands, uh, Ram, Dodge, Jeep, uh, Chrysler. Everyone, uh, every of, the, of these brands 
have a different DNA. So they, they are managed differently, targeting different customer bases. Once you have another brand like Mopar, with a large following of enthusiasts, you need to run it as a brand. You cannot just uh, forget that there are uh, hundreds of thousands of enthusiasts in the market. Actually, uh, we have uh, more than 300 uh, uh, enthusiast clubs around the US. We have four independent magazines. I mean, that we don't control. They use the Mopar name. We gave them the opportunity to use just to reach uh, this large uh, following of enthusiasts. So you need to be very specific in all the action that you do to, to be aligned with the brand DNA. And the brand, uh, the, Mopar, the Mopar DNA is uh, adding value to our brands, both in terms of customer experience as a, as a, or in terms of providing accessories to expand uh, the possibility of personalization of our cars and uh, providing service in our dealerships. But you're taking it to a level that I don't think has ever been taken yet before at Chrysler. And what I'm speaking at specifically is you have come out with a Mopar branded car. You, you, you took the Dodge Challenger, did all these modifications to it, but it, it doesn't say Dodge on it, it says Mopar. Explain some of the thinking and some of the other vehicles that you're going to do. Yeah, and, uh, and, and that is, uh, is an interesting story because you can find a lot of books about the Mopar cars. And I told you already once that when I came on board, my team gave me a this bunch of books to read because they were afraid that uh, I mean, this Italian coming from Europe, not knowing the Mopar brand. So I started reading all this book, and it is absolutely uh, clear that there is uh, an immediate connection between, uh, uh, above all, Dodge and Mopar. And people are using the two brands, uh, I mean, easily referring to Mopar cars. So I said, well, we have a lot of Mopar cars, but no one of these cars, of these cars, have really the Mopar logo on. There may be some sticker, there may be some wrap, but there is not the logo as the main. So I called Ralph Gill. He's a car nuts. I mean, so I said, what do you think if we take a car and we create a Mopar car? And then is when we conceived the Mopar 10. 500 units uh, sold in a uh, few weeks, uh, full of uh, Mopar contents. and. Simply reaching uh, our enthusiasts and saying, okay, here we are again. That is a Mopar car, and this time there is also the Mopar, the Mopar logo. And then we went on with, uh, and this is uh, a car that is street legal, but obviously we have also the side of the business that is the performance side. So we put the uh, Mopar drag pack in the market, 70 units. Uh, we dropped a V10 engine, taking the engine of the Viper and dropping the V10 engine into a Challenger for pure uh, drag racing. Just this for is the not straight. for the street, just That's for the drag This is for the street. And, and one more, too, if, if I'm right. You, Ram, the, the truck brand at Chrysler, has shown a, a high-performance off-road truck they're calling the Ram Runner. Is that part of Mopar as well? Absolutely, absolutely. Another interesting story. We took uh, we took the, the RAM and we started developing a kit. Uh, it started like, sort of, okay, what we can do with a RAM? No, we were uh, going every year in, uh, on the Moab uh, desert for the Jeep Safari, and we say, okay, what we can do with a RAM? No? Um, so having a RAM, um, 
and racing on the dunes, etc. So we started working on the suspension. Then we said, okay, maybe we need a, with the suspension and new fenders, uh, new fascia, new bumper, something like that. We used the expertise of Ken Crocker, that is a legend of the Baca, Baca Thousand race. And it came out, the Ram Runner. And uh, in, it started as a kit, uh, an after-sales kit. In uh, March, we are going to launch uh, this uh, um, $13,000 kit that is moving the Ram to the level of, uh, of a real uh, desert racing truck. What, what model within the Chrysler portfolio benefits most from Mopar? Are, are Ram customers most likely to accessorize or, or Challenger customers? What? Um, I think we touch pretty well all the brands. The uh, most accessorized uh, car is still the Challenger. I mean, we sell an average of uh, $800 of accessories for every, every Challenger. Uh, and um, I would say in second position, they tie both the Wrangler and the, and the Ram. And the Ram, they are both for different reasons. I mean, the Wrangler is, uh, the Jeep Wrangler is sort of the perfect car for accessories. And we, we, we sell accessories uh, of models uh, 20 years old for the Wrangler. So it's uh, great. What, what, what components are most are, are, they, are looking at performance? Uh, um, I, I would say I would say uh, when you move to the Wrangler specifically, we are talking about uh, uh, um, lift kits, uh, uh, half doors, uh, um, different bumpers, uh, um, towing uh, um, uh, stuff. Uh, um, obviously, we have uh, uh, all the chrome insert that are still a big deal. Uh, uh, a big deal. When you move to the RAM, the typical accessories, the side steps, for instance, bed liner. And, uh, and Challenger, you move more in the performance or uh, air, um, air cold intakes uh, or um, uh, vented hoods. Uh, so, and, and then you have all the other accessories that are not really related to performance, like uh, floor mats, uh, uh, slash guards, uh, or whatever. I mean, it's, we are normally launching with every new model at the out of the gate, about 100, 120 accessories for each car. And uh, actually, in 2011, we are thinking, considering the number of vehicles that we have launched, to put in the market another thousand accessories. And are you finding that uh, customers are getting that done at the dealership, or are you finding that it's now spreading that more customers are doing it themselves, kind of? Um, I, I think it depends from the type of customer. First of all, we have also the possibility to install some of the accessories uh, uh, near the plant, so we have outfit centers, and that is very, it's very important because one of the key elements of selling accessories is having the possibility to display the accessories on the, on the car or the truck. So uh, the dealers can order, uh, for instance, a RAM already with a bed liner in and, and having it delivered to the dealership. Um, a lot is still at dealer level. The do-it-yourself is uh, above all uh, for uh, the Wrangler, typically, where you have uh, the typical Wrangler customer is a customer that every year buys something new. You know? It's like of the some Valentine's, uh, Valentine's Day uh, gift you know, for a Wrangler customer. So every year you add something. And in that case, there is a lot of do-it-yourself. Mm -hmm. Isn't one of the keys to cracking the market of accessories is getting it baked into the financing of a vehicle? 
I mean, because typically if, if you're talking $800 and you spread Absolutely. that over a three-year lease or a five-year loan, it's not that expensive on a monthly okay. basis. But you've got to get the customer and even more importantly, the salespeople in the dealership to be able to sell it that way. What are you doing to try to do that? Well, we have created what we call the Headquarters Accessory Club. That is a club that the dealers can join and where we give all the tools to the salespeople to, uh, uh, to, uh, to be able to sell accessories uh, uh, to the customers. But you touched a very important, uh, a very important point. Um, selling accessories is an art because it involves uh, three elements in the dealership. The sales uh, part of the, of the dealership, the service part of the dealership that they have to install accessories, and the parts manager that needs to have the, the accessories uh, uh, in, uh, in stock. So we work uh, very close with uh, these three elements of the dealership to realize the... the and, and we have been pretty successful because during 2010 we, we have almost doubled the number of accessories that we sell for every, for every car. So this uh, uh, both expanding the portfolio and improving the penetration. That's another one of your areas of responsibility is, is customer service. W what initiatives uh, do you have underway and, and can you give us a, a status report on? Um, well, definitely there is an initiative that is, uh, has been launched by, by Chrysler as a, as a corporation that is uh, rolling out dealer standards uh, at level of dealership. Uh, dealer standards that cover both the sales experience, the service experience, and the customer care. And that is a, a, a great tool because uh, it's going direct, the direction to the dealers. I mean, what are the best practices to realize in every part of the dealership to take care of the customer? The other um, important initiative is uh, the um, relaunch of uh, uh, the um, activity in the service lane. We have launched, uh, relaunched actually because it was already existing but it was sort of lagging without uh, a lot of, uh, of, uh, of push, uh, what we call the express lane concept. Uh, express lane means uh, uh, having the possibility to drive through a dealership for um, oil change, maintenance, and having the service done in 15, 20 minutes uh, consistently throughout the day uh, is uh, an important and vital element of, the, of, uh, of uh, the customer retention process. Because if you start losing the customer for the oil change, you not only miss the opportunity to sell other parts or accessories, but also you, you break the relationship with the customer in the first uh, two, three years. And, uh, and so when it comes the moment to buy another car or going through a, a, a major repair, et cetera, the customer has been, um, has been lost uh, from, from the dealership is probably using an independent, uh, independent service. And, uh, and this concept is, uh, is becoming very important, above all in a moment where uh, the um, quality are improving the uh, vehicles are improving quality, the, and, and, and therefore you don't have the customer coming, thanks God, for warranting your dealership. You've been pushing for Saturday openings. Is, can, yeah, can we see, are there Sunday openings on the horizon? What kind of? Oh, it's coming, it's coming. Uh, I don't know whether I'm going to be very popular for that, but my point is, uh, first of all, let us address Saturday. I mean, when uh, one year ago, um, we had, uh, we, con we 
assess, uh, we assessed our network, we had about 60% of the dealers that were open on Saturday. That was at the beginning of 2010. That is not uh, a number that is unusual uh, among the official networks, no. But unfortunately, the independent networks, so all the other providers of service, are always open on Saturday and even Sunday. So the, the, the conversation with the dealers was pretty clear. I mean, you are losing a large portion of your business, and it's not just the profitability of that business, it's also the fact that you lose the loyalty of your customers. And the best day for maintenance is Saturday. I mean, when you get an oil when you get the warning light coming out and asking for an oil change, you say, oh, let me have this done quickly, effectively, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, done. And the price is not necessarily even the first, uh, the first uh, uh, element of, uh, of uh, evaluation. So we started this conversation with the, with the, with the, with the dealers. And they understood. We moved from uh, 60 to 70. So at the end of 2010, we have 70% uh, uh, of the dealers open, and we are targeting 80%. That probably is a number that is starting being the um, a good uh, a, a, a good number, considering that you have uh, some rural areas, some rural markets, or dealers that probably they cannot uh, really afford to be open or shut. But then you have Sunday. I always say, and I already mentioned some time, I mean, when, as an European, and I don't think there are doubts with my accent, uh, when, you come, when you come to the US, the, the, one of the best surprises is the fact that you come in the, in the country that invented the 24-7, so that you can shop overnight, you can shop on Saturday, Sunday, etc. So why we shouldn't provide the same experience to our customers? And that's a simple thought, and that is true for Saturday, and then we will start addressing Sunday. Sunday is more difficult, you need some more investments because you need probably to add uh, uh, people in your dealership to allow everyone to have a day, a day off. That, I mean, I'm not saying that uh, we are open seven days a week and everyone is working seven days a week. <laughs> you can have shifts, but uh, th that, is, uh, that is the next frontier. Pietro, I was at uh, the Chrysler 300, the, the complete redesign of the car, that, uh, beautifully done. It's gone with a smaller grille, and I know that was kind of controversial because it was sort of the bling that, uh, of the original model that really set the stage for it. But I was intrigued to find out that Mopar is going to be selling different grills on that vehicle. In fact, you brought some examples yeah. in. Talk a little bit about that, and, and let's start with uh, what you're calling the diamond grill. Wh why are you doing these things, and, and talk about how you came up with different grills to sell for this car. Well, first of all, you need to go back to the uh, previous 300, um, a car with a great success, and definitely you, you cannot avoid to notice that uh, the grill is an important part of the car, not of the front of the car. So what happened with the old 300 that uh, um, had a, um, a square grill, and then uh, we started developing, Mopar started developing in the aftermarket other opportunities, uh, looking at the other grills that were available in, in the market. Uh, so even the old 300 had uh, three additional aftermarket grills, etc. And we sold about uh, 
in excess of 15,000 grills during the life of the former 300. Mm -hmm. So when uh, the new 300 uh, has been designed and launched, we said, okay, we need to repeat the same, uh, the same experience. And, uh, and there were, I mean, it was one a car where it was so common for customers to add a grill that you, you start thinking, oh, what is the best one? No? So finally, the, the, the brand uh, um, um, decided to go ahead with the current grill that you have seen uh, in, the, in the production car. And so we said, fine. I mean, we have a, a splendid opportunity to multiply the number of 300 that you can have taking some of the grills that uh, we had on previous models and creating new grills even. So we started uh, exactly as you said with uh, the diamond grill that was actually, that is actually a sort of reinterpretation of a grill that we had uh, with the previous model. Um, and I brought the, the grills here because I mean, we talk always about grills, so I said they are fresh from the supplier, they came out uh, really uh, yesterday and they will uh, hit the showrooms uh, uh, in March. And um, that is uh, part of our heritage, a very, very impressive grill uh, with, uh, it's all aluminum casted. I mean, we These don't, are not plastic. That's not plastic inside that grill, except. Okay, and then you've got this other one called the 13 Bars. The 13 Bars is a new one. So we said, okay, what, and this is, was a specific development with the uh, product design office. Uh, they, we went there, we started with, you know, when you talk with designers, it's always a problem because they have conceived, they have designed a car. So when you start saying, okay, what else can we do? Say, no, it's already perfect. No, but there is a market outside. That is one of the elements of Mopar. We have the responsibility to design and develop accessories. So we can uh, sort of uh, add something to what has been designed by, by, by the design office and, and the brand. So the 13, Again, uh, aluminum cast, uh, uh, a different look that will be, is, go is going to be really a new, a new grill. And then we, we took uh, what we call the, the mesh grill that we had already. Uh, it's the one someone is calling sometimes the Bentley grill. I mean, but this is a, this is a Chrysler grill, a Mopar grill. Uh, again, a, a, a big success with the previous 300. So now we have, uh, we have uh, up to six grills because we will also uh, make two different versions of the production grill, one in black chrome and another one in satin chrome, so six. And uh, the last uh, baby, and this is, uh, is uh, news, we, will also, uh, we are also um, uh, ready to launch uh, exactly the grill of the former 300. So we have decided to keep an, uh, the, the same design of the square grid, so we will have a seventh grill. Seven grill. Okay, room. if I'm a customer and I want to go to the dealer and have one, what would it cost me to have that? The, the price of this grill will uh, uh, range between uh, $350 to $700. I mean, it depends from the, the material, and, and uh, we are about fine-tuning the price, but this will be the price range. Oh, uh, and I understand, too, from dealers we've talked to that you're even going to go a step further when Fiat comes out. I've, I've been hearing, and I don't know if you can confirm that, that some of these dealers want to sell wraps of cars that each time they come in, they bring their Fiat in for uh, oil change that they could change wraps. Yeah. Uh, is that something that you guys are looking at? Uh, absolutely. The... Fiat we should explain that a wrap is like a plastic coating that you yeah, can put on exactly. the car. Exactly. Well, you can. And, uh, it's like a decal. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a decal and can move from being a sim uh, simply a, a, a stripe to be the 
the whole roof of the of the car. The Fiat 500 uh, is already one of the most accessorized vehicles in Europe. No? And Europe is less uh, sort of um, uh, hot in, uh, on accessories. Mm. No? I mean, for instance, in Europe, you don't have a lot of chrome on the cars, etc. So this is something that is... So, and, and it is an exception because it's a really a versatile car where you can really do different things. So we are obviously leveraging this experience of Europe. Uh, creating a line of uh, 150 uh, Fiat original accessories mm. that we will uh, sell in our dealerships. And among these accessories, there will be also wraps. So you move again from all the possible type of stripes uh, to a flag on the roof. Uh, um, or, or, as I'm always mentioning and thought was interesting, for instance, uh, matching the wrap that you have on the car on your key fob. And that is uh, something that has been, uh, has been created in Europe uh, when uh, the Fiat 500 has been launched. And that is really, I think, very cool because at the end, the key fob, the key is sort of the ambassador of the car. You know? It's the thing that you keep in your hands that you put on the counter of the bar when you have a beer there or in the restaurant or your desk. And so why not uh, personalizing the key fob? So the we have really um, um, a large gamut of accessories that we will uh, we will launch with the Fiat 500, and the customer base will be, I guess, very very excited. Mm. And unfortunately, with that, we're going to have to wrap up the show. But Pietro Gorlier, thanks so much for coming on and telling us all about Mopar. Very interesting story that you've got here. Thank you very much. Thank thanks. you. Thank you. Jeff and Eric, thanks. Thank you very much. Thanks thank for coming by, and I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. I'm fascinated by what Chrysler is doing with the Mopar brand, especially coming out with cars that carry the Mopar name. And the move to keep dealerships open on Saturdays and Sundays is certainly newsworthy, but time will tell if Mopar can really compete with independent service shops. I'm also interested that an Italian executive was chosen to revive the brand. Pietro Gorlier sure does seem to have quickly caught on to the needs and wants of American consumers. I definitely want to see where all this goes. But that brings us to the end of this show. Join us again here next week as we continue to give you an inside look at what's going on in the automotive industry.